APU. American Public University is proud to present the following podcast. Welcome to the School of Arts and Humanities at the American Public University System. My name is Dr. Bjorn Mercer, and today at the Everyday Scholar, we're talking to Dr. Kasia Polanska, Assistant Professor of Sociology at American Public University System. And today we're talking about the sociology of death and dying. Welcome, Kasia. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. No, this is a, honestly, it's a fascinating topic. Death and dying is something as humans we encounter and will have to encounter in our own lives. And so I'm just going to jump into the first question. How did you get interested in this topic? Well, that happened about maybe four years ago, and I never studied the topic of death and dying in sociology. In fact, my own field is very far from it. My concentration has been political sociology and race and ethnicity and and so on. So this is not really something that I gave much thought when I was going through grad school and just my teaching career and my research So about four years ago, I saw a phone number and our local hospice was looking for volunteers and they were offering a training for hospice volunteers. So I signed up and took this kind of very intense and interesting training and became a hospice volunteer. And soon after that, I was assigned to my first patient. So it wasn't just the training and kind of the theoretical knowledge, but I got to experience working with a patient who was dying of cancer. And I got to know him over a month as he was dying. And it was just kind of a very transformative experience, so to speak, it just made me realize that I felt really passionate about a topic, that it was something that we didn't really talk enough about in society. And so a couple of years later, after that first patient whose name was Ron, I worked with more patients and eventually I approached our program director to develop a class on death and dying. Or maybe she mentioned that there was a class that needed to be updated or something like that. And I said, could I please have that class and work on that? And that's how it happened. That's how I developed the class on death and dying. Excellent. So why do you think as contemporary humans, we don't talk about death and dying as much as maybe in the past where like mortality rates were higher, infant mortality rates were higher. And it would have been a more commonish occurrence for humans in the past. Uh, I think, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. One of them is that we no longer live in households that we have our grandma or grandpa living with us in a spare room. So these multi-generational families are no longer the norm as it used to be in the past. So we don't actually experience somebody who lives in our household dying at some point, which was my case when I was growing in Poland. My great-grandmother lived with us for a while, and then she died. And I remember that as a child. So I think it no longer happens, not just the United States, but it doesn't happen in my native Poland anymore as much. Also, there's a lot of focus in our culture on beauty and fitness and living. Cemeteries are often on the outskirts of town. We don't really visit. So this is something I can see as someone who grew up in a different culture. We actually visited our 
dead relatives at the cemetery every week. So this was a constant presence, being around cemeteries. I think most Americans don't really experience that. And I just visited the cemetery on um, Memorial Day, and there were a lot of people. But when I go there, you know, I go there almost daily because I still volunteer as a, for the local shelter, animal shelter. So there's no one there. So just once or twice a year, you see a lot of people there. But cemeteries are not just something that we think about. But on the other hand, we do hear about death a lot. And unfortunately, in, in the context of drug overdoses of celebrities or tragedies such as the, the recent case in Minnesota of police brutality and so on. And so death is kind of present, but it's at the same time, it's far because we focus so much on beauty and fitness and youth and living. So I think that's just some of the reasons here. These are some of the reasons for why it's not a kind of a common thing we think about. Yeah. And I like how you brought up, obviously, people focus on living. I'm sure people in the past <laughs> did <laughs> yes. the same thing. Yes. But yeah, with fewer multi-generational households, you don't then experience grandparents growing older and potentially dying in your house. And then even people I know, there's very few that have multi-generational households. In this country, it is more of the norm that there's the nuclear family, but then grandma and grandma live somewhere else. And then say, when they're nearing end of life, it's a different experience versus the family taking care of it. Not always, of course. And so with your experience with this and volunteering with hospice, what are your students' reaction to this topic? So students who have taken the class often are really surprised once it's over, or maybe as they go along and are taking the class, because they expect something depressing, morbid to come out of the experience. And they often take the class because it may be useful. And many of our students are first responders, are in the military, so they they do have a lot of they're in touch with death or they, they witness death in their line of work in different ways. So they just take it because it may be useful in their career, but they don't really look forward to it. But when they come out of the class, they find it to be really kind of an amazing experience. And also they think it's very meaningful and often changes their outlook on life itself because it does remind them that there's an end to life and that it's important to live in the best way possible. So it's kind of a wake-up call in some ways, but also a way to talk about a taboo topic, something that they may kind of know about, but try not to think about and fear. And there are also those who have said that this was kind of therapeutic because they've lost someone they loved in the past or sometimes in recent past, and they haven't really worked through that experience. And taking the class actually allows them to do that. So it's, it's sort of a, a therapy for them as well. So the reactions are very positive based on the students I've talked with. And that's good. Obviously, students will have many different perspectives on death and dying. And, you know, especially if their job does put them in front of people who might be at the end of life. Now, have you experienced people whom come from cultures where, say, uh, the day of the dead is common? Do they process death and dying, say, different, I don't want to say better, than, say, American culture, or maybe even Polish culture that you've experienced? 
Well, I think the Mexican culture with the Mexican rituals around death are, to me at least, are somewhat similar to America, even though it's called something different. You know, it's Halloween versus Dia de los Muertos. It's really kind of similar, but it's very different from the Polish culture where death is something more solemn something very spiritual and kind of makes us reflect back on, well, the times we spend with our relatives, you know, our family history. We go to the cemetery and meet at the grave. In the U.S. and Mexican cultures, it's something that's kind of, well, and I'm sure there are differences between the two, but my impression is that it's more lighthearted in a way. It's a spiritual experience, but in the U.S. we put costumes and we, you know, it's not a very solemn occasion. Yeah, you know, I have to say that I haven't fully wrapped my head around it because it's still, I've never gotten used to the Halloween from coming from this kind of a different approach to that time. Because uh, in Poland, it's very much a religious holiday that has to do with November the 1st and All Saints Day. And so Halloween is, has a different feel to it. So I don't know if I'm kind of explaining it very clearly, but there is a different way that Halloween is, is you can laugh and you can have fun. In, in Poland, it's not about fun. It's about, it's kind of more solemn, more sad, but it's not really sad. It's just a reflection on the family and, you know, where we come from and where we are going, but not really, it's about expressing it, if that makes any sense. It's more internal. It does. Since you're Polish, I can only imagine that it would be somber because of the history of Poland during World War II. The U.S. typical culture has no context <laughs> that can relate to what happened to Poland in World War II, besides the Jewish Holocaust, but the millions of Polish people who died. And just the fact that Poland is littered with former concentration camps. So, I mean, I'm assuming growing up in Poland, you could literally be 20 miles from a concentration camp. I grew up uh, half an hour from Auschwitz, and we went to Auschwitz on field trips with school as early as primary school. So, of course, my mother was born after the Second World War, but my grandparents lived through the war. And yeah, so it's much more visible. It's uh, that history is very much in the kind of in the public sphere. You know, we talk about it, we think about it. And of course, the concentration camps are reminders of that. Yeah. And again, I have not visited Poland, so I've not seen those firsthand. So again, it makes sense that it would be such a solemn occasion because of the tragic history that occurred in Poland. The only thing I can compare to in the US is something that, again, most typical Americans wouldn't relate to, would be the death of indigenous populations. <laughs> Here over, you know, a few hundred years where literally millions and millions yes, I of agree. Mm -hmm. um, indigenous peoples died of disease and of conflict. And although that history is taught, it's not really yeah. comprehended. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> here in the US. And honestly, sometimes I think a lot of Americans don't want to comprehend it because it is so hard. It's just a hard reality. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. So today we're speaking to Dr. Kasia Polanska. We'll be right back after a short break. Information technology offers multiple career opportunities, including retail, healthcare, finance, mobile telecommunications, and government. With a degree from American Public University, you'll acquire the technical knowledge and foundational skills to create information frameworks and to protect your organization from harm. Take the next step in your IT career and apply today at study at apu.com. And we are back with Dr. Kasia Polanska here at the Everyday Scholar. 
And so the next question I have is, why is this topic interesting for you? Huh. <laughs> I think it's interesting because it puts, for me specifically, it puts life in a kind of broader perspective. It makes me focus towards something that's really meaningful as opposed to some petty daily concerns that we have and not, not to minimize it, our daily lives, of course, they are important, but it's just kind of, I think, important to think about where we are all going, where I'm going and how I want to live my life to make it meaningful and to, and while, while it lasts. Also, I think that the loss of our loved ones affects us much more than we realize. That's definitely true for me. And I realized that, and I realized the importance of kind of thinking about death, dying, and also bereavement. But when I participated in a grief group, that was basically a series of meetings to help community members deal with losses of their loved ones. And I participated in that group, I think that was about two years ago, as a trainer. But I had to kind of pick a loss to work through. Everybody kind of, most of the participants had some sort of loss. One woman lost her brother to suicide. Another person lost a very close friend to cancer. So each person had a loss and I had to pick a loss and kind of be one of the participants, but also help train and learn to be a trainer. So it was very interesting because when I started talking about my loss, as everybody, everybody took turns and talked about their loss, I was very much surprised by my emotional reaction. And I didn't think I would cry, but I did. And when, when it was all over, it was as if some kind of weight was lifted off my shoulders. And that, that truly surprised me because I didn't think it was, you know, I just had to kind of think about the loss, but it wasn't something that maybe even, you know, affected me the most in my life, I thought. But it was just something that was, uh, it was very good to get rid of. And so I think it's important to just to help people live. And, you know, as a sociologist, I'm interested in the community support to people who are suffering for all kinds of reasons. And I think losing our loved ones and people we rely on to death, even though it's inevitable, it's just traumatic. And so it's good to work through and provide supports for people who are going through that process, you know, and all of us will go through that at some point. And, you know, I haven't uh, so far, you know, my both of my parents are living and my closest family members are living. So perhaps in recent years, the most traumatic death for me was the death of my dog. And that surprised me as well, because that was very powerful grieving experience. And that's what I hear from other pet owners, that their losses of pets are just sometimes more traumatic than their losses of people. And that's kind of an interesting aspect of death as well, I think, and how we deal with that, given that pet ownership is very common. And in fact, people refer to their pets as their babies, fur babies. So there are many reasons for me to be interested in this topic. But, you know, these are just a few of them. Yeah. And you brought up a ton of good stuff. First of all, pet ownership is common. People love their pets, cats, dogs, horses, whatever you have, they become part of your family. And so when they do pass, it is sad and people, they do and should grieve. I'm also glad that you brought up when sometimes people do die tragically of say suicide or cancer, that's something that for those who survive, they do need to deal with that grief because you shouldn't swallow it. You shouldn't just, you know, like a step upper lip and just keep on going. And it makes me think of kind of workism 
of America where we just work, 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 work. If you have a death in the family, like when my father passed, I had five days of bereavement. And then if I wanted to take more, well, I had to take the time off. Like, well, I'm pretty sure you can't really properly grieve somebody for just one week, but those are the laws. And depending on the company you work for or organization, they will have better or the bare minimum. Now, do you think in this country, would it be better for the general populace if there was more opportunity to grieve, to have more time off allowing you to grieve versus, well, here's five days and then get back to work? Well, yeah, as, as you explained in your experience, that wasn't enough. And definitely that will vary from individual, but definitely people should have the opportunity to take maybe more time off if they feel they need to. So, yeah, I think that's just kind of a part of the entire, you know, attitude towards that that we have. Maybe as a society, we don't take it seriously, <laughs> but, you know, hopefully it's changing and become kind of more aware of that. So, but I, I don't really know, but it's a great point that you brought up. I think it makes sense to me. Yeah. You know, and for me, I think there's a variety of issues with the American obsession with working. Working's good. (laughs) We should all work. But there is also needed time to be human. And when you have a baby, have time to bond with a baby. When a loved one dies, have time to grieve, fully grieve. And for some people, they're fine, I guess. For other people, it takes longer. And that's okay because you're going to have a much more productive person if they're able to fully grieve and go through the process. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting. You know, your point is really interesting. We are so much focused on work and productivity and so on. And I think something interesting happened during the recent issues with COVID-19 and quarantines. If there's anything positive to come out of a very tragic you know, situation is that people have been forced to reflect and forced to stay home and be with their families. And I'm hoping that our attitudes will change and that it will be lasting in a way, that positive aspect. Yeah. So. Um, I'm hoping that this will be the good that will come out of a bad situation. Agreed. And COVID has literally changed the world. And to me, it connects us to the long lineage of humans who have had to deal with pandemics in the past. And so if you just talk about the bigger pandemics in human history, so the Black Plague or outbreaks of smallpox, I mean, literally 50 to two thirds of the population would die. And luckily... COVID has not been as serious as that and serious in the mortality rate. But again, it connects us as humans to what our ancestors had to go through and really deal with the fact that we could just die one day. And like you said, I hope that people really reflect on what's important and that living should be for helping each other out. And you got to make money, of course, (laughs) but you don't take money to the grave. Whatever your concept of whatever happens after you die, you don't take, you know, dollar bills there. So hopefully it just refocused us on our family and community and so on. So, yeah, it definitely did that to me and just made me appreciate my family and my friends. So, so yeah, it's, um, yeah. Excellent. And then how do you see this in your teaching? And, And you also created the course here at APUS about death and dying. Do you want to say a few words about that? So yes, so the book that I found is a book that actually when doing research for the class, it was, of course, a a free open access book through the APUS library by Stillen and Attic. 
And the title is Death, Dying, and Bereavement, Contemporary Perspectives, Institutions, and Practices. And what I really like about that book is that even though it's a sociology class, the book draws on a variety of disciplines to kind of take a holistic view of death, dying, and bereavement. And take advantage of collective wisdom of scholars in different disciplines, as well as practitioners in the death and dying movement. So, you know, there's a chapter on philosophical perspectives on death and dying. And there's, of course, a sociology of death and dying chapter and psychology and so on. Because what I've really like and I've always liked as a student for many years <laughs> and also as a then, you know, as a teacher and researcher is kind of a multidisciplinary perspectives on on different phenomena, because I think it just really connects a lot of different pieces and provides a fuller perspective of a field. So what I really like about and what I try to make this class to be is not only look at kind of theories and uh, explanations and theoretical aspects of dead, dying, and bereavement, but also about developments in the field. And there are a lot of exciting developments in recent decades, you know, the hospice movement. There's one thing about death and dying that most people, you know, have asked, say that they would like to die at home. But the reality is most people die at hospitals because of the severity of, you know, their condition. And so there are developments, practical developments in the field have to do with making kind of a more social model of death and dying. So even if somebody dies eventually in a nursing home or, you know, some kind of an assistant living facility, that their environment would be more home-like than a kind of the sterile hospital setting, you know, white walls and no pictures on the walls. So there's just kind of a lot of interesting material that is found in this textbook. And yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited about the class. No, that's excellent. Just from my own experience from when my father passed and he passed at a hospital, it was a bad experience, not in the sense that they weren't great because they were, but the hospital is, like you said, it's sterile. And if he could have passed at home in his bed, that would have been a much better experience. Or like you said, in assisted living facility or anything. And it would have been a better experience for the family, um, a little bit of everything. But the way the healthcare system is set up, well, <laughs> it's, it, that's difficult to facilitate that kind of end-of-life care. So, but no, I'm glad you talked about that and with your volunteering with hospice. I think extremely important. It's one of the things that I fully intend to <laughs> volunteer once my kids are older. <laughs> so any last words on this topic? No, just maybe, you know, one quote from the book that's by a philosopher, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, that life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. So, you know, as much as I really think it's important to think about death and dying, we still have to live our lives, <laughs> but it's just useful to look back and, you know, to try to understand. And uh, hopefully it will make our path forward more meaningful and more focused on, uh, you know, what's really important in life, which is our loved ones, um, family and friends, communities. <laughs> and absolutely wonderful. And I'd like to thank today, Dr. Kasia Blansko, for talking about the sociology of death and dying. Thank you so much, Kasia. Thank you for having me, Bjorn. Oh, yeah, for sure. And today, this was the Everyday Scholar here at American Public University System. And my name is Dr. Bjorn Mercer. For more information about our university, visit us at study at apu.com.
APU. American Public University.